Hey, Steve. What? When does Friday come before a Thursday? I don't know when. In the dictionary. Oh, man. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Engage, a family gaming podcast. And I'm your host, Stephen Dutzman, as always. This is the official video game and board game podcast for EngageFamilyGaming.com. EFG is a website where parents like myself and my co-hosts come together to give parents and families the information they need to get their family game on. This week, it's three people on the team. I am joined by my usual crew of board game folks. First, my board game editor, Linda Roble. How are you? I'm great. Hello, everyone. And the man who runs a Pawn's Perspective, that is Rob Collegian. How are you, sir? Good, good. Thank you. You've been writing about board games for way too damn long. Yes. Um, uh, almost 10 years now. Almost 10 years. That's a lot of uh, board game reviews. Um, so we're bringing your experience to the table, because specifically, as you guessed, folks, we're not here to talk about World of Warcraft. Um, that'll probably be next week. Um, this week, uh, we're talking about board games. Specifically, uh, we're going to talk about Gen Con. Um, Gen Con is the E3 of board games. Is that safe to say, Rob? Uh, yeah, although I think uh, I think PAX Unplugged may may overshadow that over time. Eventually, yes, I agree. But right now, Gen Con is the E3 of board games, and it just happened. In fact, we are recording this on a Tuesday, and it just ended on Sunday afternoon. Tons of interesting announcements. There are companies that have panels and like press conferences there. Um, not quite on the level as the stuff that Sony and all them do, but it'll get there, I'm sure. Um, but And so we wanted to go through some of our favorite announcements, um, some things that we were excited about, maybe some things we weren't excited about. Um, but before we do that, uh, I do want to take a moment to thank you folks for listening. Um, we do hope that the games you've been playing have been great. I can say we have been playing some awesome stuff. So we want to make sure that our podcast is more interactive. So at any time, please feel free to reach out to us on social media. The best way is to message us on our Facebook page that you can get to at engagefamilygaming.com slash Facebook and give us your comments, questions, feedback, or topic suggestions. So um, now that we've done the rigmarole, Let's go around the horn. Um, Linda, you said you've been playing all stuff that we have already talked about, although you have played a lot of games. If you look at her Instagram, um, which is uh, username, uh, what is it, DragonRose720? Yes. So if you go to DragonRose720 on Instagram, which everyone should, by the way, because she posts a lot of our board game content there, um, you brought a giant stack of board games with you to your seasonal campsite this past weekend. How many of those games actually saw play? Um, I think we had five, maybe get to the get to the literally to the picnic table. Um, so that was that was really fun to see how many games came out in the woods. Yeah, I mean that is a that picnic table that you have is really good for board games, unless they're yes. thundering and lightning. But hey, what are yes, you going to do? That or high kind of, winds. Or high winds kind of defeated the purpose. So, um, but Rob and I, uh, well, first off, Rob is always busy. Um, he plays board games, uh, I think, while he's asleep. I do. Um, it's, a little, it's a little weird, but, you know, whatever. That's his superpower. Um, 
So, um, but the biggest thing you've been doing, Rob, as I've been following you on uh, Facebook, etc., is that your family has decided to take up a Dungeons and Dragons habit. Yes, so, um, I I finally convinced them. Yeah. So here's this is a two part thing. First, um, I want to know how you convinced your whole family, which is quite large, um, to just to play in a single Dungeons and Dragons campaign. Well, um, follow up. I want to know how you convinced your wife to do it, um, and then is... I want to know how it went. So, in what order? Uh, so, well, well, first of all, uh, the whole family is we we've left the four year old the four year old out of uh, out of D and D. But I, it's something I've been wanting to do for a while. I mean, I haven't played D and D in like twenty years. I mean, the last time I played was was a D and D second edition. Uh, I tried third edition when it came out and and absolutely hated it, uh, so went back to playing AD and D second. But I've always wanted to get back into it. And uh, Wizards had sent me a bunch of books a while ago, and I'm like, oh, I gotta play with the kids. And I just I finally picked up um, and started reading the Tales from the Yawning Portal, which I believe is seven seven classic modules brought into fifth edition. Yep. Um, and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna run these because I. You know, I used to GM for like Vampire and Shadowrun. I've actually never DM'd Dungeons and Dragons, so I'm like, I'm gonna run these from the book. And it says, you know, it's for characters, you know, starting with level one, preferably four four players. I'm like, oh, I got the three kids, uh, and I had asked I had asked my wife to play, and at first she's kind of hesitant. I'm like, oh, we just need a fourth, so you just need to kind of like just sit there and, and help out. Uh, but she started reading the player's handbook and got really into making the characters. Uh, and then the kids got really into making their characters, and uh, we made it we made it a family thing. Um, and we started the first campaign, uh, which was the Sunless Citadel, on Tuesday. And we actually made a thing where like, I went out and I bought everybody brand new dice, uh, so they could all have like fresh dice for their first ever D and D campaign. Uh, I broke out my my wooden DM screen, the dice tower, some dice trays. Um, we we I went D and D shopping at Walmart, and I got binders and page sleeves and paper and mechanical pencils and brand new erasers so like we were all like D&D'd up we were like total ner- like nerd headquarters at the dining room table I brought special snacks um, and so we started Tuesday night and that first campaign uh, or that first session um, it, it went pretty smooth I mean the kids they get it, it was late because we waited for our four year old to go to bed uh, and they they get they get kind of silly, um, but they got the ha- you know they got the hang of 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 rolling the d20, how to figure out you know hits, how to figure out damage, how to go about exploring a dungeon and searching for traps and dealing with NPCs. And we played for like three hours that night. Um, awesome. And the next day, they were all just like, "Are we are we playing D and D again today?" Like, sure. So we played three hours again and three hours the next night, and then. The next, uh, the night after that, the fourth night, we were almost done with the Sunless Citadel module. So I'm like, all right, we're just gonna play through. Um, and so that was like a four-hour session, and it was it was really cool. They they made it to level three, so they each got to level up their characters, and and some of them added some spells. So like my wife is a half elf druid, and my daughter is a drow sorcerer. My eight-year-old is a gnome fighter. And my uh, almost 13-year-old is a half-orc paladin. Um, so they all got to level up and, and 
discover what their characters are good at. We ended up, you know, as we went on tweaking things, so we printed out some note sheets so they knew what all of their their special abilities were because they, they would not think to use these things because, uh, you know, they're not staring them right in the face. Uh, and then we had kind of a, an interim session and we started the next module and they've been begging me to play again. It's just uh, I've been you know busy, so we're recording tonight. I'm recording uh, my podcast tomorrow, so Thursday night we'll get back into D&D. Uh, but I've also, like, I went out uh, to Etsy and I messaged, like, almost 40 different people who make different accessories, like character tokens, dice towers, more GM screens. I'm like, hey, if you want to send me something to review, I'm going to use it in this campaign with my kids. I'll review it. It'll be awesome. And uh, I got a bunch of really cool stuff coming in. Awesome. Um, so so it sounds like this is just going to be like the new thing for you guys for a while. Yeah. Yeah. I think like my, my wife said it, this is the, this, this summer is going to be the summer of D and D. Like that's what my kids are going to, are going to remember. Awesome. You know, I mean, I can think of, you know, for a lot of kids, this summer is going to be the summer of Fortnite. Um, so I think the, uh, the idea that your kids are going to have a different experience you know, playing D&D with you and your wife. I think that's a... I, I um, am jealous of that experience. With that said, I'm not very far away from doing that ourselves. It's just a matter of getting the time together and all that stuff. So I am jealous, but only because I haven't done it yet. It's just a matter of time. Um, we started, but we included the Infinite co-host. And now that he lives up in Vermont, we have to... You know, we got to rearrange things because... That's hard because that's far. So, um, so that's D and D. So, fo- so um, obviously, those listening and Linda, you played Dungeons and Dragons before. Uh, Linda has played with me. I was her dungeon master, um, and um, I like to think I'm. That was okay. a very long time ago. I like to think I'm okay. Actually, you know what? I wasn't the dungeon master. I was for part of it, but we, uh, but Caleb was for the other part. Mm. Um, I f- I forget who did most of it. Hold on, let me ask Jenna. Jenna, did I Dungeon Master the whole time? Mm-hmm. Who did it? It was Caleb, right? Mm-hmm. It was Caleb that did it. Mm-hmm. In that weird thing. And I did it for a little while, but then it kind of fell apart because we had too much time and also we were too busy LARPing. Um, that obviously made things complicated. Um, and we all started having children. And then we started having children. Uh, but now my plan, and I told Linda, I told John this, I don't know if he told you, but my plan is to, you know, once all of our kids are old enough to just send everyone else away and I'm just going to play Dungeons and Dragons with the kids. I'm just going to take all of them at once. That's my plan. I'm going to do that it That is a lofty once. goal. I mean, listen, Benadryl is a thing. <laughs> it is. Um, so, anyway, that's my plan. I'm going to do it at least once for like a whole weekend. Just binge playing Dungeons and Dragons with all of our children. Um, so, um, and I think that'll be a whole lot of fun. So, um, now, uh, I played a lot of Pioneer Days over these last couple of days, and I wanted to talk about that. Um, Pioneer Days is a game from Tasty Minstrel. It is, all things considered, a pretty heavy uh, dice drafting game. Um, It is essentially Oregon Trail, because you're in a caravan, traveling over a series of days, which turn into weeks. Um, I really dig it. Um, I say that a lot, but this time 
I really like it. I actually played, uh, we played a whole bunch of different ways, including um, one-on-one, me versus my wife. Um, as one would expect, she beat me up real bad, um, and I lost by quite a bit. She didn't literally beat me up, but she beat me quite badly at the game. Um, one of the things that I like about it um, is, you know, at its core, it's pretty straightforward. You're putting multicolored dice into a bag. Every day, you draw uh, a number of dice and roll them equal to one plus the number of players. Um, and then each of you takes a die and does the action. Um, and then whatever, there, there's a, there are four disaster tracks. And whatever color die is left over, that's the, you know, the, the, the marker moves on that disaster. Um, and if it happens four times, then um, you have to deal with the disaster. And those things are things like a storm, which damages your wagons, or a famine, which can kill your cattle, or a disease, which could kill your people, um, or a raid, which takes your money. <laughs> um, and I really found a lot of, you know, I found a lot of really interesting decisions in balancing what you need versus staving off these um, disasters that really all are going to happen. Like, there's really no way to avoid them. Um, but, you know, holding them off and dealing with the consequences of those actions, and, and over time you're kind of gaining resources. Um, and every week, which is completed by, you know, doing five days, you get to a new town, um, and you complete, you basically have quests that you complete um, to earn favors. Um, but everything tr funnels into victory points. Um, it seems like it's a super heavy game, especially when you, if you look at our Instagram, you'll see the number of pic you know pieces and stuff that's all over the place. Once you get going, and Rob, I'm sure you've played games like this that look like they're a giant mess, but once you take two turns, it's just like, oh, this is just a thing. Um, I really, really enjoy Pioneer Days. Um, it was available at Gen Con. That's one of the reasons why they sent it out uh, to us. So um, this is going to be available. I it, I definitely recommend it for folks. It is not the lightest game. Um, it might intimidate some non-gamers, but if you've got people that you play with that are relatively game savvy, this will hit the table and will play very nicely. Um, I, especially, I especially like that there's a little bit of take this in there because you can very, you know, by choosing dice, you can choose hazards and disasters to take place that really mess with your opponents, um, which I didn't really see, you know, like, it feels like you almost want to play it semi-cooperatively semi to try and prevent things, but when you choose not to and you end up being a traitor, man, it's great. That's a great feeling. <laughs> um, so, have you seen anything about this one, Rob? I actually, uh, I actually haven't, surprisingly. You haven't? Okay. Well, you'll see. You'll see a fair amount of it because uh, we're going to be reviewing it within the next couple of weeks. Um, it's really good. Um, it's fourteen plus, but I think it's accessible to younger gamers that are savvier. Um, what I do like is there's an advanced play option as well, um, where you can you know play as either generic pioneers or there are actually named characters that have like superpowers and different starting equipment etc and also the townspeople that you can recruit um to like join your caravan there are basic versions and then there are more advanced ones that have very different mechanics um that you can include as well so you really do get to pick your poison as you play through the game i you know or when you start the game like do you want the very basic 
um, you know, easy to teach version or do you want like deeper strategy, etc. Um, so I really dig it. Um, you know, it's available or should be available very soon. Um, let's look on the Amazons and see if it's around. Bear with me. It is available um, on the Amazon for uh, 48 bucks. And you know what? I think it's worth it. I mean, it is pricey compared to some other games, largely um, because there's a lot of little pieces. There's lots of little bits to it. Um, but it is, you know, it's, it's definitely worth the price on that. Um, so, Rob, I saw you reviewed a Sailor Moon dice game. Yes. Now, Sailor so, Moon is not, like, you're not the target audience for Sailor Moon. How'd you end up with this? I am I am not. Um, I was contacted, like, months ago by uh, Cheap Ass Games mm -hmm. to, uh, about their new dice, uh, I'm sorry, Button Men. Yep. And they had mentioned something about another company putting out uh, a Sailor Moon-themed version of Button Men, and if I wanted to be... You know, if if I wanted them to reach out for me and, and get on the list for that. Uh, and a few months went by, and all of a sudden, this uh, it, the full title is Pretty Guardian Sailor Moon Crystal Dice Challenge. Yep. Uh, which is kind of a mouthful. Uh, but it showed up in the mail, and it's it's basically just a Sailor Moon-themed button men. Um, you get, like I think, something like 32 characters, a bunch of polyhedral dice, and some tokens. Uh, and they also toss in two lanyards and these badge holders, so you can like wear them at a con to say, "Hey, I'm ready for a Sailor Moon battle." Um, but it's, um, it's are you it's, gonna do that? No, no, abs absolutely not. Uh, and the whole game comes in this box <laughs> that's this box that's just way too big for what you actually get. Um, but yeah, it's it's pretty much straight up button men. You each take a character. Um, you can either do it at random or pick which characters you want. And you get an active dice pool and a reserve dice pool and sometimes a token for a special power. You each roll your active pool and you take turns trying to capture the other person's dice by using numbers on your dice that are equal or higher. Um, and then if you win, you get a token. Uh, if you lose, you can pull a, a die from your pool in your reserve to your active pool so you have more to roll. And it's best three out of five. It's really quick. Um, it's meant for two players, but I think it can go up to something like six or eight if you do team play or round robin rules. Uh, but but at its core, it's a two player game. It's like five to ten minutes. It's super light, um, but the the special powers and the ability like uh, to use your your reserve dice add a little bit of depth. Uh, there are certain characters that rely on their reserve dice and they can pull them in. There's certain characters that can clone the die of an opponent or steal an opponent's reserve die. Um, it's just it's fast and it's it's great because it's something the kids can take out and just play. Yeah. Um, it takes no time to set up. It takes five to ten minutes to play. Dad, you want to play a quick game of Sailor Moon? Sure. I play a quick game and then another one of them hops in and and they're happy. Um, and the cool part is it's completely compatible with both the new Button Men release and the actual old Button Men which had the actual buttons. And I actually believe there's like four promo buttons for Sailor Moon, kind of like the old style button men. Uh, and I think Gen Con had another, another one of the Sailor Scouts as a promo in card form. So yeah, it's, it's really fun. 
it was kind of interesting. We went out to the movies the other day uh, to see Hotel Transylvania 3, and there was a trailer because they're bringing two of the Sailor Moon movies uh, back to the big screen. And, of course, because we've been playing the game, my kids are like, oh, Sailor Moon, and they're all interested now in going to see it's like Sailor Moon R and Sailor Moon S or something. Sounds awesome. Uh, yeah. We have it, too. Um, and the plan is, you know, it's in the list. Um, so Linda's, Linda's just, you know, we have to have a game day so we can play all these games. Um, but we knew that already. That'll all get easier when it's not summer. Summer is, like, really, like, for a lot of folks, like, summer gets, like, easy because there's, like, more free time. But, man, like, for people that are supposed to, quote, unquote, have more free time, we have way less. It yeah, does I go fast that. and it fills up. Yeah, it fills up so quickly. Um, and so, um, so I'll take. I think I'm just for for sake of things. The uh, the last game I want to mention um, is I played Dinosaur Tea Party from Restoration Games. Um, guys, I'm just gonna say it. It's uh, it's real. It it is a. It's not real stupid. It's real silly sounding, right? Like dinosaurs at like this fancy fancy tea party. Um, but, um, outside of the fact that I am terrible at it, because we played four games and everyone won a game but me, um, it, 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 and that's just because I'm bad at social deduct, at like deduction games, because I just can't keep track of the facts, um, there's just too much going on, um, but, not to make excuses, I'm also bad at games. We have a whole hashtag about it. We're going to make t-shirts. <laughs> so, um, but essentially, there are 20 dinosaurs that are going to this tea party. Everyone is randomly assigned a dinosaur, blind, and we go around, and you go around a circle asking questions about the dinosaurs at the party. So, I would say, Linda, um, are you eating? And if her dinosaur happened to be eating, she would say yes or no. And if she said yes, she would put out a little tea bag that has food on it, and she would put it to the yes side. And I would say, you know, or I would say, Rob, do you have stripes? And if he has stripes, he would do that. If it was no, then there's a no side on that tea bag. And you go around. If you get an a answer that is yes, then you can take another guess. And one of the things you can do is guess their name. And if you get them and you guess a name correctly, then you get a sugar cube. The goal is to play to get three sugar cubes. Um, that by itself is pretty straightforward. What adds a layer of challenge to it is, number one, um, you only get an extra guess if you get a yes. So you can't eliminate options and then find the correct answer. Because what a number of us found, especially in the first game, is that we were confirming the person that we wanted by asking a no question and then the next person knew the answer and got the points so you have to be really careful with your questions right because um, it's hard to confirm you know just the way that the dinosaurs are and how all their different you know traits are just it's really hard to confirm who you know one out of the 20 dinosaurs with a yes answer um, so that's interesting. Um, and the, um, so that was a, a problem that we had. The other thing that makes it a little bit more complicated is three, every game, three of the dinosaurs are given quirks. 
Um, and you may or may not end up playing as one of those dinosaurs. Um, they may or may not end up being your like identity, but one of them is you always say no. So no matter what they say to you, you say no. Um, and another one is that you always lie. You know, so there might be a dinosaur that always lies, so you can look at that. Um, and there's another one where they always switch their answers, which means the very first question you pick yes or no, regardless of what the actual answer is, um, and then you do the opposite for the next time you're asked a question. So yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, or the opposite. Um, and that really messes with people um, because obviously you don't know who they are. And so, you know, it's something you have to kind of pay attention to. It does throw things into the mix. What I like about it is that is an optional thing. So if you're playing with significantly younger players, you can just avoid that entirely. But it doesn't even come into play in every game because we only had in the multiple games we played, we actually only had one person end up drawing a dinosaur with a quirk. Um, it's really good. Um, it plays very young. Um, we had our youngest playing the game and asking questions and, you know, she wasn't super great at it, but she was super excited to be playing Dinosaur Tea Party. Um, my favorite part of it is the art. Um, you can see kind of what I'm saying. Just look at our Instagram account and you'll see what I mean. Um, all of these dinosaurs have so much personality. Um, you know, they're you know, wearing funny hats and you know, eating, you know, drinking tea and eating cakes. Um, and they actually have uh, recipes in the instruction manual for uh, tea sandwiches um, and um, like shortbread cookies. Um, so it's, I mean, it's fun. I mean, uh, Restoration Games sent it to us. It's really funny now that we are, you know, in a post-Fireball Island world that Restoration Games, like in their, in the same year, they're releasing Dinosaur Tea Party and Fireball Island and announced the incoming development of uh, the Dark Tower, which we'll talk about in a minute. It's just so interesting, like, you know, these really huge, massive event games, and yeah, we're going to make a deduction game about dinosaurs at a tea party. You know what I mean, guys? Yeah, I'm uh, I'm going to come to your house for, for shortbread cookies and, and tea cakes. Uh, listen, I just want to go make scones now. <laughs> listen, the tea sandwiches are... <laughs> Just the, Linda, they're those things that you guys make for every. Are they the cucumber sandwiches? Yeah, they're just cucumber sandwiches. That's all. Oh my goodness! But it's instead of the alouette cheese, it's butter and garlic. But whatever. Yeah, they're just. Cucumber I'm still sandwiches. down. Listen. Okay, so cucumber sandwiches, scones, and dinosaur tea party. We have a date. We should totally do. I think we should do that. Um, just and just take just to take videos. We should all just dress up, and have a. Well, should we? Tea should party. we all buy those? Uh... Should we all buy those inflatable T-Rex costumes? Jesus. That's not in my budget, sorry. <laughs> oh man, but you know who does, you know who has one? Andrew of the Family Gamers, and if we told him that we were having a content creation event where he had to show up in it. All right, let's put this down cuz we're going to need yep. to do this. It doesn't have Break to be now. Down. We can do this post reno, Linda. We can do this next year. <laughs> um, post reno, I mean, yeah, we're going to have to do it. We're going to have to have a, an actual dinosaur tea party. Um, anyway, so um, listen to us getting, you know, pl doing our creative planning on the air because, well, we're... That's how we roll. We're content creators on the internet. That's basically what we do. So um, so that's around the horn. Um, obviously, Linda was kind of left out on this one, but she has a fair amount to say on some of these news items. 
even if she's going to tell me I'm excited for no reason, and that's fine. She can be the voice of sanity. Um, so why don't we take a break first, and then we'll come back, and then we're going to talk about Gen Con. How's that sound, guys? Sounds good. That sounds Fair great. Folks, we'll see you in a minute. Welcome back, everybody, to Engage, a family gaming podcast. We're still talking about board games. I'm still Steven, last I checked. Still joined by Linda and Rob. Um, we went around the horn, talked about some interesting games. I'm now super jealous about Dungeons & Dragons. Um, and I may or may not have, during the break, gone and just stacked up all of my books um, and sent an email to Wizards so they could send me more. <laughs> um, so let's talk about Gen Con. So... Um, first, you know, I describe Gen Con as like the E3 of board game, um, uh, like the E3 of board games. Um, Rob, you made a really good point that right now it is, and I think Essen probably challenges it a little bit, um, but you made a, a comment, and I kind of agree with you, that PAX Unplugged is going to be competing with it, if not immediately, very soon. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, I think the only thing that might be an issue for PAX Unplugged is that it it falls at the end of the year. Yeah. So to announce a new product, you know, I don't think people are going to get many new things out by the holidays when they're announcing at the end of November. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, PAX Unplugged's first year last year was just gigantic, and it was so darn cool. Yeah. Uh, to quote The Cat Returns. But... Um, yeah, I can see possibly eventually packs on packs unplugged growing bigger than than Gen Con. I think it's possible. I mean, the thing to keep in mind um, this coming year is packs unplugged is after Black Friday, which I think is you know like I think it's going to be. I think it might be. Uh, I mean, if they're going to keep doing that, I think it might end up being a bigger shopping event than Gen Con. Which is hard to believe, considering the Gen Con halls that I've been seeing on Facebook. But um, it'll be interesting to see. Um, I know all three of us are planning on being there at PAX Unplugged this year. Uh, it's a four-day event this time, as opposed to three. Linda and I will obviously only be there for the two, because um, because we're adults. Um, Day jobs are a thing. Yeah, but um, no disrespect, Rob. If you're going to be there for all four days, you cannot be I'm, an adult. That's fine. I, I'm going to be there for all four days. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Um, the, um, so let's talk about Gen Con. So they made a bunch of really cool announcements. Um, uh, in no particular order, I'll just go through, I'm going to throw out a game, um, and we'll just kind of talk about what it is and, you know, what it means. Um, so why don't we, I'm going to start with probably the most hyped announcement that they made. Um, and that is that Restoration Games announced their newest product um, and their newest project, which is Return to the Dark Tower, um, which is going to be coming in 2020 with a Kickstarter next year. Um, Rob, you of the three of us are the only one that has ever even seen the Dark Tower. Tell us what you can. All right, well, so the first thing I'll mention is that this is not the Dark Tower, as in Stephen King's The Dark Tower. This is true, factually correct. Yes, we are talking about an old uh, board game, and I'm, I'm not too familiar with the details. I believe it was 80s, 
Uh, it was like this circular board, and I, I played it back in the day, but all I remember is it had this this literal uh, 3D dark tower. Uh, it was electronic. Yeah. Um, and it was kind of one of those, kind of like in the vein of like the Omega virus and, and stuff like that, The these board games with an electronic component. And um, it was just, it was so cool. Um, and it's, you know, now it's it's one of those games, I think, where, where people want it for the nostalgia of this. You know, they remember playing it, similar to Fireball Island. It may not have been the best game, but it certainly was one of the coolest games that somebody either had or knew somebody that had. And it's really hard to get in good condition with a working tower um, you know, when, when when people have giveaways for this game, everyone's entering. So to hear that Restoration Games is not only coming out with a almost like a sequel or a remake, it's going to be cooperative, um, but also Isaac, who designed uh, Gloomhaven, is, is on the, the design team for this game. So it's Rob and, uh, Rob and Isaac. So it's, it's just really, really cool. Yeah, I mean, what more is there to say? I mean, what's crazy about this is um, I think Restoration Games is kind of running out of home runs. You know what I mean? Like, Fireball Island was just crazy, you know, like, nostalgia trip, but it was something that they could definitely improve that everybody remembers fondly, even though it was garbage back then, right? Dark Tower is probably a similar situation... I'm struggling to think of too many other games that they could get the licenses for that could be improved in such a way. You know what I mean? I think there's there's two that I can think of. One I keep asking them about and they keep telling me to stop, and that's uh, Crash Canyon, which was another one of these games that had that, that vacuum-molded board like Fireball Island, except you had these uh, little micro-machine trucks. Um, and as you would move, if you landed on a sloped platform they would roll and they had bridges, which means you could actually roll off the bridges. Um, so that was, you know, another roll and move game that just had a cool board. And the only other one I could think of, and I, the, the license would probably be one of the hardest to get would be battle masters, which was, uh, it had this giant five foot vinyl mat. And I think it was, it was almost, I think it was a wall and like one side had like actual working crossbows and ballistas and stuff. No, no, that was uh, weapons and warriors. Okay. Or or crossbows and catapults, which had like discs. This was um, almost like an introductory Warhammer, and I think it was a Games Workshop game or or something licensed by Games Workshop. So you had these little miniatures set on plates, so they would move in in squads. But the 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 big draw to this was this five foot vinyl mat that you would just lay out on the floor, yeah. and you'd have to lie down and move your characters around, and it. Yeah, it basically was, you know, a very, very, very simplified Warhammer fantasy. Linda, does any of that do anything for you? Like, is Restoration Games, like, I mean, think about it, like, and maybe we're missing something super obvious, right? Like, they're smarter than us, because, you know, they just are. Um, So, but barring the obvious, like, if Restoration Games all of a sudden is, at this point, just limited to these giant old, like, you know, sword and sorcery fantasy or otherwise like weird games, are they just kind of out of games that you find interesting? I don't know. It's interesting because of the games they've taken on, the only game I had heard of previously was Fireball Island. Never even played it as a child. 
but everything that I saw got me excited for it, which was part of the reason we did the full backing on it with the expansions. You know, even though I had never played it as a child, I was able to get excited about it. I'm looking at the old photo of the the Dark Tower game from 81, and it's like, I don't remember this at all. And this was when I was little, and this doesn't ring a bell at all to me, but looking at it and knowing what Restoration Games has done and who's working on it of that team, I would be really interested to see where they take it. So even though I don't have the nostalgia to lean back on, seeing what they've been able to produce makes me excited looking forward on what they're going to come out with. Fair enough. Um, So, I mean, Downforce, you know, they took some different racing games updated. Stop Thief, I had never heard of before. They re-released it. Um, So things like that, it's, they're not tapping into my nostalgia to the same way other people, they're tapping in for other people, but yet they're still getting me excited about these new games because they're so good. They're doing such a good job. I mean, there's something to be said about that. Like, it might not have been your jam, but it's worth kind of looking at by nature of the fact right. that they they do good work. Um, and right. I'm with you on that. Um, nothing. And they it, could take even obscure things. That's the thing. Because they do such good work, they could take an obscure title, get the license to it, and make it, if, if it's got a good foundation to work from, or even a mediocre one that they can work with, they've got the potential, I think, to take even a mediocre, obscure game and make it something that would become more popular. True. I mean, they don't miss it. And I, I think, you know, to, to steal the baseball analogy uh, a little bit further, but, you know, metaphor, bad metaphors are my thing. The, you know, they don't have to have everything be a home run. You know, between Fireball Island and Dark Tower, like, those are clear home runs. Um, if everything else they throw out is a very strong single, that still wins their game. Um, right. So, um, and they're only and they're only getting better. You know, if they release two games a year, one smaller one, one big one, they do that for three or four more years, they, they could just live off that. Um, and I won't lie, I cannot wait to get uh, our... Because we backed Fireball Island with the expansions, too. Um, and man, I cannot wait for that. The, the box is huge. I don't know if you saw J.R. Honeycutt. Uh, he posted, um, on Instagram, um, and, you know, cross posted it into a group. Like they got their prototypes and, um, like just holding the boxes with the various expansions. This thing is going to take up a lot of space. I cannot, oh I mean, there is that. So, I mean, it, you know, you're going to get it right in the middle of your renovations. It'll be fine. That's fine. Um, it's fine. There'll be like a hole in a ceiling somewhere. You can just put it up there. Um, and I, I've already got permission to store thing at my folks' house that need to be safe. So I think enough. that is fair enough. the prime, prime object. Just <laughs> yeah, so you'll bring uh, Fireball oh. Island and maybe your parents will start playing with it. Um, who knows? Um, probably. Stranger things have happened. Yeah, it could be, it could be weirder. So that's... The Dark Tower. We really have no details other than the fact that we know it's going to be cooperative and it's going to be done by Restoration Games. Um, I'm really interested to see Rob and, is it Isaac you said? Yes. The Gloomhaven guy working together um, because, and this is an epic game, what I'm really interested to see is how they change the tower. Because before it was a big, battery-operated, clunky thing, they're obviously changing that. Um, you know, so that's going to be really interesting. We'll see how that goes. Um, so next, uh, I want to talk about Keyforge. Um, Keyforge is, um, 
Linda, you might actually find this really interesting. Keyforge okay. is by Richard Garfield. Yeah, uh, by Richard Garfield, he's the dude okay. who made Magic: The Gathering. Okay. Um. So, what it is, and I'm bringing up a um an article because it actually um, so it is a card game that is directly targeted. Like it is a hundred percent being designed to shoot right at Magic: The Gathering and Hearthstone. Like this is. We're gonna. We are. The goal of this game is to take everything that people do not like about those games, um, and provide a counter to it for people who still want to play, um, you know, card games with a little bit of randomness to them. So here's how it All works. Right. Keyforge okay. is a series of decks. You buy a deck. You don't buy packs. You buy randomized decks. Each one is procedurally generated um, using the same set of cards um now and the it's i'm being precise with my language they are procedurally generated as opposed to randomized what that means is the decks are designed to work together they are designed to be playable all on their own now for sake of doing some math um rob let me uh, blow your mind on this one so this is how likely are these decks to be unique um, because of their procedural generation. Well, I will tell you, the lead designer was uh, interviewed by Polygon, and he stated that Keyforge's procedural generation and the card pool is capable of creating 104 quadrillion different decks. Now, I don't have that much money. Well, hold on. You don't have to buy that many. Listen, um, you knew you weren't paying for this game anyway. You were going to ask him to send you review copies. Come on, Rob. Come yeah. on. Um, they're not going to send you 104 quadrillion decks, though. Now, for those who are really interested in what that means, because I like um, visualizing things, that means if we lined up every human being currently alive on Earth and put them in a line, like at a store, I could give each person in that line 32 billion decks before oh they ran goodness. out. <laughs> Okay, so I can ask them for $32 billion then. You could, and they might think about it. So, basically what this means is none of the decks will be the same. Now, obviously, some of them will be relatively similar, right, um, based on theme and things like that. But, um, since this is a card game, and basically the idea is you can spend your 10 bucks. you know, it's like 10 or $11 for a deck. You buy it, you can play it. This will be great for tournaments where you can just buy one, and it's this is your deck. That's what you're playing with. Um... Uh, because it is directly targeted at Magic the Gathering and Hearthstone, I thought that I would reach out to the Infinite co-host. Uh, everybody who listens to the podcast or has listened to us for a long time will remember him. That is my brother. Um, he is our resident card game expert, and I asked him for some hot takes on Keyforge, which, by the way, is coming out later on this year or early next year. So his hot takes are as follows. Um, card backs matter quote-unquote. Um, most collectible card games, the card back, um, like for example on Magic the Gathering, it is and has always been the same. You should never know any information about the card from the back. That is not the case in Keyforge. The card back actually delivers information to players about what the deck does and what it is. Um, and also it provides you with information playing it. Um, so the um and like as we said um he is particularly excited um 
that instead of buying packs and separating the decks and putting them, you know, building custom decks, you simply buy pre-generated decks that are all just as random, or not just as random, but assembled the same way by the machine. Um, what this means is if you buy a handful of those decks, you kind of have your own little, you know, family, you know, tournament set right there, um, which means it does add some replayability because, you know, kind of every time you buy a new deck, you're kind of adding to it. Whereas with Magic, you know, you're buying individual cards. Sometimes you're buying a 60-card stack of them, but really the value is in the individual cards. Whereas here, um, you're built, you are buying a set deck, um, which is – but you don't necessarily know what it's going to do, um, <clears throat> which is kind of interesting. Um, so the goal – um, is that it's supposed to be relatively light. So this is something that you should be able to learn relatively quickly. Like for example, Linda, I think this might be an interesting way, an interesting experiment um, to learn card games just because they all share some of the same mechanics. So we're gonna find that out, I'm sure. Um, so, mm -hmm. <coughs> so basically each, the way that the decks are constructed is um, each card is assigned a color, which is very similar to Magic. The color wheel, you know, cards of a, all, cards of the same color all tend to do the same kind of things. Like maybe one card type is all about card draw. One might be all about, you know, forcing your opponent to discard cards, things like that. Um, all of the decks are three colors, 12 cards of each color. Um, so the idea is it, the challenge is building a strategy that is not about you know each individual card, um, but it's about playing the cards in the appropriate order, which is very different um, from you know where in a lot of other card games, Hearthstone Magic, one card could win the day. Not necessarily the case in Keyforge. This is really all about the cards working together and you playing them in the correct order. I'm, there's no mana costs, which is interesting. That's kind of very different from Magic and Hearthstone and Pokemon. Um, I'm super excited. I love card games, um, and I think this is kind of a neat idea. You pay your 12 bucks, you get a deck. Um, everybody has one. You just keep playing. What do you got? What do you guys think? I'm so down for this. Um, I like this... the art too. Yeah, this sounds like. Definitely a good stepping stone for someone that doesn't know card games as well because it's not deck building. It takes out that whole component. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That that'll, that immediately makes it less intimidating for me as an, a not card game player. Absolutely. Not collectible card game. Um, fun fact, though, for a game that's supposed to be kind of light, quote-unquote, this is being published by Fantasy Flight. Um, the good news for that is um, Fantasy Flight knows how to make a game and they know how to distribute things. Um, so this is not going to be... The, the good news is none of this is going to be rare. Um, I, I think this is going to be a whole lot of fun. I cannot wait to get my hands on some of these decks um, and we will be playing a lot of them. Um, I foresee maybe even losing an entire game day to playing a bunch of these decks. Um, you know, my kids are already hype about it too. So we'll see. Um, so that's Keyforge. Um Linda, what yes. did you see at Gen Con that got you excited? Because, I mean, you watched, you you were our news hound. Like, you really went and did your homework, which I appreciated yes. because I did not. Um, because I don't do, you know, I, I don't, I've never done homework. Um, it, it's the scholar in me. 
Um, so the thing I think that made me the most excited, which I find funny, um, is the Horizon Zero Dawn board game that they announced. And I find it funny because I have never played the actual video game, but I watched my husband play lots and lots of it and enjoyed the story just watching it like a movie. So I think of the announcements I found, that one absolutely got me hyped up. Which is... Okay. <laughs> I know. It's just, I'm getting hyped up by the video game. No, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it too. Um, what's funny is, it's funny for two reasons. One, I showed the, the logo. I showed the logo to the general and she turned her, she, she like, she gave it like a significant frown. Like she's sitting in the other side of the room and frowning at me about this Horizon Zero Dawn game and, and Linda is hyped about it. It's just that we live in a weird world. Folks, 2018 just basically <laughs> flipped the script on what reality means. Um, I won't lie, I'm excited about the Horizon Zero Dawn game too. Um, we really don't know many details about it other than it's set in that world. I'm sure it's going to be an abstraction of the story. Um, did, were you able to find any details about it other than the fact that it has a really cool Ravager fig? So yeah, the, the the I for John, I like showed him the picture and I'm like, what what is this this monster? It's a scrapper, per him. So they had the scrapper, and then there was a female character that I couldn't tell from the details of the figure if it was supposed to be Aloy or if it was supposed to be representing another character. Um, okay. The details of the face were hard to tell, but the fact that it showed miniatures. Well, yeah. That's, I mean, yeah, it's, that's a big detail. Yeah. So we don't know much, but they're giving us a sneak peek of miniatures on it. Yep. Did they say anything uh, about when? The... They said a Kickstarter will be coming soon. There okay. was no no details beyond that. Well, that's going to be one I of mean, those Kickstarters that's going to go bananas. So we'll just have to pay attention to that one. And Steamforge is the one that's doing this. And they've brought Dark Souls to board gaming, Resident Evil 2. So, I mean, this is not their first rodeo with taking a video game and making it a board game. So that's – I'm cautiously optimistic Wait, on who, what who they'll do it? with it. Steamforged. And Steamforged. That's Steamforged. what makes me... They they kind of made a name for themselves with Guild Ball. Oh, they did which Guild is, uh, Ball? Oh. Guild Ball is, is amazing. I love Guild Ball. Yeah, I like Guild um, Ball too. But I've heard mixed reviews leaning towards the negative for, for Dark Souls. So I'm... It worries me a little bit that they're the ones doing it. I mean, they do amazing, amazing miniatures. I'm just hoping the gameplay will will be up to snuff. Well, we'll find out. Because um, one of us will have it, probably, unless the Kickstarter is insane. I mean, the issue is the, the Kickstarter for Dark Souls was bananas. Um, I wanted it, and I I'm because I've wanted a Dark Souls game that I might actually be able to play, because I can't play the other one. Um, but... Uh, so we don't know. I mean, this one might be priced out for us, Linda, just by nature of the fact it, that it's kind of expensive. You know, their other stuff is kind of expensive. But Guild Ball is only expensive if you buy, like, literally everything. So it's right. pretty reasonable. So well, here's hoping. It depends. I mean, miniatures, that can really blow up the price. It just depends on how they want to do it. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So um, it's definitely one to watch, though. Absolutely. So I want to. So, Rob. What's the thing that's got you the most hype? Um, well, I'm I'm really down uh, with Power Rangers, and I know I mean Renegade is doing it, so I've got hopes it's going to be good. Um, you know, it's it's based off the original the original Mighty Morphin, 
uh, one to five players, and the miniatures are going to be like oversized miniatures. Yes. And I'm, yes. I'm most, you know, they've showed us, they've showed us, I think, a couple of the minis. We, I don't think we've seen any Zords yet or Megazords. Oh, but that's but, a thing. But Come really, on. all I care about, and I, I, I can. I am a grown man. I grew up with with Power Rangers, but like, dude, I need myself a Green Ranger expansion, and I am a hundred percent, a hundred percent in. Like, my kids all love Power Rangers, especially my four year old. This is a game that's gonna have to hit my table, no matter what. And they're predicting this year, by the oh, end of the year, yeah. right, Kickstarter's in one week. That might be something that ends up under the under the Christmas tree. I yeah. All right, so. Like, while you were talking about the Power Rangers thing, I was just literally hulking out, like, over here. Just, like, I almost ripped off my T-shirt. Uh, but nobody needs to see that. <laughs> like, this is one of those things. Um, I was – I have always loved giant robots. Always yep. loved giant robots. Um, and, you know, between Voltron, Transformers, and then Power Rangers hit when I was 13. So I was a little bit too old for Power Rangers. But – as anyone who knows me knows, being too old for something has never stopped me. Um, and so I got into it, at least the first season, really just because I liked giant robots. Like, this, this, this show is obviously really dumb. I mean, it's really dumb. The stories are always really dumb and overwrought and overacted. And, but they're doing what they can. Um, and I've all, ever since then, I have... Uh, made a point to watch like one episode of every Power Rangers show that they've had just because I'm super interested in um, you know like basically the giant robots and so and now I kind of understand more about how they make the show and all that the, the game I saw the miniatures they look amazing I, I, I don't even know this game could be super terrible and I still think I want it um, alright so so let's let's just get something out out in the open here yeah. Um, the the last time you were at my house to to play games, I literally got up and picked up one of your children's Power Rangers toys and started playing with it. Yes, and you took a picture with it. It I, was like the three foot tall Play School <laughs> Megazord or something. You're damn right, I did. And anyone that wants to talk about that, um, just come at me. <laughs> I Dude, I play I play with his uh, his Dragon Zord because it's got a remote that is the. Uh, the flute dagger and it plays the dragon sword music when it moves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love that. <laughs> yeah, listen, um, I, when, I love Power Rangers. It's so stupid. It's so dumb, but I love every minute of it. And now that I understand, like, here's what's real interesting, Linda. Now, like, because the original, because the actual Power Rangers, like the like the, the, they make in Japan, are for grownups. It is not children's programming. Um, not, like, in that way. But, like, it's meant as, like, you know, as, like, it's, like, CW stuff. Um, so you can buy them all on Blu-ray <laughs> and, like, see what the actual story is. Um, I need, I'm going to do this with my kids eventually. <laughs> um, like, like, hey, let's watch Power Rangers. Um, and although before that, they have to get all caught up on Dragon Ball Z now um, because now that they watched Evo... Um, and watched Dragon Ball Fighters. Now they want to watch all of Dragon Ball, and that's going to take like four years. So, um, so maybe I've got some time. So, um, I want to talk about the thing that I thought that got me the most hyped, um, because it, other than 
Power Rangers, which, like, when I saw that, I lost my damn mind. Um, I want to talk about Dungeons and Dragons for a minute. Um, Wizards of the Coast, this was announced a little bit ahead of Gen Con, but Gen Con is really, like, it's coming out. Um, Dungeons and Dragons is crossing over with Magic the Gathering with an official, like, hardback source book. Um, and, um, that's freaking ridiculous. I don't know why it didn't happen already, um, but I'm excited. Um, it's, it's a Ravnica, you know, campaign setting. Um, Ravnica being, uh, it's the city of guilds, quote-unquote. This is a big, uh, one of the most popular Magic the Gathering, like, worlds, um, in its 25-year history. Um, the the setting is really neat because there's you know this set of I think there are twelve or twenty you know twelve ten guilds um, I think it's ten don't don't hate me if I get it wrong um, but there's ten guilds and it's all about politics and everybody going after each other and all of these guilds have very different goals and not only do they have very different goals but they have very different methods of achieving those goals and part of that is because those guilds are all represented by combinations of the colors in magic um so obviously the different colors in magic do very different things and thus combining them in different ways creates different attitudes and philosophies which i think is super fascinating the idea of being able to play a character that is a part of these different guilds is I, that's a really cool idea. They've been doing free supplements, um, you know, just printing out like little, you know, sending out like 20 little page free PDFs, 20 page little PDFs is what I wanted to say, um, on their website since Kaladesh, when they went to the, the, uh, the, the, it was in India basically. Um, so, and that's been fun. And I thought that was just going to continue, and all of a sudden I saw a hardback book, and I was like, there's no way that this is real, and now it is. Um, I am 100% picking this up, um, and you know, if this is if they're making a source book, that means I would presume that they're going to make like real adventures, and that sounds awesome to me. Um, this is a crossover that should have happened years ago, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I don't know if either of you guys have thoughts or opinions on that. Now, Ravnica is my my favorite Magic the Gathering setting. It's actually the one that got me back into Magic after so many years, so I started playing with my oldest son with uh, Return to Ravnica. Uh, and I, I love the idea of this planet where the entire planet, the entire surface of the planet is covered by this one sprawling city with these guilds. Um, and I just think it, it, it fits D&D so well and it's almost kind of reminiscent of the uh of planescape um yeah. you know where you had that the city of doors uh i can't wait and i've already uh already got in touch with my my wizards rep and i will be getting a copy in the fall when it comes out and i am super excited that's pretty awesome so linda does any of this do anything for you it makes me want to learn the story I, I don't know enough to be excited about yeah, it yet. Honestly, but this, the, the, the way you say the 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 the, fair, the fact that you said that right, like it makes you kind of interested in the story. Like there is an entire like genre of people. There's like a group of people that just read Dungeons and Dragons books because they're interested in the background. You sound like the kind of person that would be super down with that. I will loan you my copy of this book because the story <laughs> is super interesting because all the different clan, the, they're not clans, all the different guilds 
Like some of them like hate each other. Some of them are allies. Some of them are allies because they have to be. Um, they all have these really interesting and charismatic leaders who like represent the guilds. Um, and seeing them like in a Dungeons and Dragons world and seeing Dungeons and Dragons supplemental products like the miniatures and dice and play mats and you know all this stuff super rad um i think it's a cool th there's a lot of cool crossover here um and the art just the cover of the book just looks so rad um so that's um ravnica interesting factoid so they're so they're making a magic the gathering book this magic the gathering cross dungeons and dragons um but they're bringing back the eberron setting which is one of their Lar you know, one of, one of their large number of campaign settings in the Dungeons and Dragons world. This one is interesting because it was actually created by a fan as part of a contest, um, and it's being released digital only for the first time. Rob, I know this makes you feel a certain kind of way. Right. Um, it's cool to have have the digital and and whatever, but I like. I like a physical book when playing when playing D and D. Something I can flip through easily. Uh, I love the look, the feel, the smell, uh, and like I'm all for like I love my Kindle and stuff like that. But when it comes to something like D and D, I want I want a physical book. I want this on my shelf. Yeah, I, listen, I'm with you. Um, I don't know what their decision making process like. I don't know how they decided that Eberron needed the digital only. But, you know, maybe we'll never find out. But it's kind of interesting. But it's out there. It's a thing. Um, so if you were really attached to that Eberron setting, this is a time to, uh, you know, kind of go ahead and grab that. I think it's on the – is it the DM Guild? Is yep, Dungeon Master's Guild. It's uh, 19.99 for the PDF. And I forget how many pages. I think it's 175 pages. Which is pretty intense. It's pretty intense, and the cool thing about I mean, Eberron is an interesting setting because it is very magic-heavy, um, and it's, I don't want to call it like a film noir type sweat setting, it's like a, a magic noir type setting where you have these characters that really blur the line between good and evil, um, and it's it's not really like the, the big magic, like your your resurrection and your fireball spells, but it's really like low magic is very common. And I think one of the, the new classes is the Artificer, which is a character that just makes magic items. Like, this is just an everyday thing in the world of Eberron. Um, like, I really, I really want it. I just, I really don't want to read it on a screen. No, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, um... I don't like Dungeons and Dragons books on my uh, on my Kindle either. So this is one of those things that you know we'll just have to see how it goes. There are some people that swear by it, um, but yeah, I'm I'm gonna pass on that one until I can get an actual book. But I'm glad that it exists. I'm glad that it's gonna make some people happy. Um, just not me. <laughs> um, can we talk about Dude for a minute? Dude. Uh, this game was made for you. It is. So what's funny? Funny story. Uh, all of my like actual nieces and nephews refer to me as Uncle Dude, and my friends' children call me Uncle Dude. Um, it was largely by accident. I don't know who first called me Uncle Dude. Was it Isaac? Yes, Isaac so, started the trend. So my my you're now ten year old. It's yeah. official. I can't believe he's ten. Oh my god. Um. Uh. 
Jake will be 10 in the fall. It's freaking me out. Um, so the, cause I just say dude to everybody, like all the kids, I say dude, um, whenever I see them and they, they, Isaac just called me uncle dude and we all laughed about it. And then we all were like, you know, I think this has to be a thing. So now I'm uncle dude. Um, and so then all of a sudden North star games rolls out and releases dude, which is very clearly a big Lebowski thing. And you know what? I'm more than okay with it. Um, it's a game about just a bunch of different ways to say dude, basically. Um, I have no idea how it plays. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I, I, How about this? I really don't think I care. Like, is it okay so, that I don't care? I just want that's, it. Anyway. I think that's perfectly I think it's perfectly, perfectly fine. Fair. Do you want to hear what the description of the game is yes. on Target? Can, can, can you do that? I have me? it in front of me. Yes. So per the Target blurb, it is a game including 72 cards. The word dude appears on each card in one of six different ways. The goal is to quickly find matches for as many cards as you can. To play, you say the word dude as you think it should be said based on how it appears on your card. At the same time, listen to how other players are saying the word dude, trying to figure out if you have the same card as another player. And that's the essence of the game. And it says it plays in five minutes. So... Um, that a silly party game. I'm down. Yeah. I mean, I really am. Um, I mean, we're, I mean, I'm gonna have to get it eventually. This is one of those things. Um, because and then we're gonna have to play it. I think we might have to play it in podcast form. Um, just because it's gonna be a whole lot of dude. Um, I'm sure the man behind the curtain will love to edit that one out. Uh, that sounds like that'll be uh, that'll be pretty great. Um, so how much is it at Target? It is. Probably like hold on, bucks, right? Oh, it's eleven dollars. Eleven dollars. Oh man. It is eleven dollars. Okay, so that's not too bad. So that's not bad. And there's actually already a more dude card game. Oh yeah, there's also for eleven dollars. Yeah, ten ninety nine to be. So that's what I that, I remember the pricing. It was twenty bucks because for both. Um, it was going to be twenty for both of them. But really, I think we probably could get away with just regular dude. I don't know. We'll find. We'll have to find out. Right? Um, yes. How can I say no to a $10 board game uh, about dude? Um, so, a little bit of cleanup. Some of the stuff that we... Um, so, Expanse City, which is uh, a game that Rob has played and reviewed, um, sold out like crazy, and for about an hour during Gen Con, it was the top of the hotness list at um, on Board Game Geek. Rob, tell us about Expand City because you not only unboxed it, um, but you played it. Yes. So, uh, Expand City is a game about building cities. So you've got these um, these city blocks that can they can kind of snap together to build uh, skyscrapers, and you've got tiles in a bag. Uh, and the basics of it, and there's a few goals here and there, but the basics of it is to score the most points with your residential and commercial buildings. Um, residential buildings can only be built on residential tiles. Commercial buildings can only be built on commercial tiles. You get bonuses for um, groups like clusters that are close together. And you also get bonuses if you have landmarks like a park, a bar, a police station. They might say, like, this bumps up the value of a residential or commercial property or it bumps the value down. Uh, you also get negatives if you complete a building that has an empty lot next to it. 
Um, and there's also this mechanic where you can only build so tall. So a, a residence can only be one to three tall, uh, and you can't build one that's too tall until you've already proven you can build one that's one tall. And you can't build one that's three tall until you've proven you can build one too tall. Um, and then commercial buildings, I believe, have to be four or larger with similar rules. So you can't start off by building an eight-high tower. You have to start off with a four, then a five, then a six. Um, and those are just the very, very simple, basic rules of it. Um, but it's great to play with kids uh, because, you know, you can do the basic building. They like stacking them up and, and creating their buildings, and it's kind of that very easy level. Uh, but then playing with adults you know, with, with your kind of like gamer buddies or whatnot, you get into this whole, you know, the modifiers. And really, it's in, it's less about trying to bump up your own score and more about really trying to screw everyone over by by making sure there's empty lots next to their buildings or these, these landmarks that'll drive down the value of their property. Yeah. I, I, you know, I mean, I have a copy of it on the way to me from Breaking Games, so I'm looking forward to playing it. Um, this is, I mean, it's, it's kind of like a, it feels, or it, I can't say it feels cause I haven't actually touched it yet, but it looks like it's supposed to feel a little Sim City ish. Is that, am I, am I just projecting um, too much on the buildings or what's up? I think it's more the visual of the buildings. Um, cause it's not like you're building, you know, airports or any or any kind of infrastructure. It's really just these commercial and residential properties and trying to get your score multipliers. Um, but the production value is super super high, uh, and the the box art kind of gives you that that Sim City feel. Uh, but what it really comes down to playing is it's it's fairly basic and how, how the mechanics work, and it's more just how the pieces mesh together and how you build your buildings and complete your goals and, and kind of screw over everybody else with these negative modifiers. Interesting. Yeah, you know what? For This is going to sound crazy, and Linda, tell me I'm stupid. Um, for whatever reason, all the time that I spent watching this game like kind of unfold and saw, seeing all... I never really thought about there being more than one player. <laughs> oh. You know, I think I know why. Why? When I first was looking at the components, it reminds me of the Think Fun single-player games, the um, Laser Maze and Marble Maze and the Roller Coaster, all from Think Fun. The pieces, they have a similar feel or look to them, I should say. So I think that might be what it's reminding you of. Because when I pulled up the pictures of the components, that was the very first thing I thought of. It reminds me of the Think Fun games. Yeah, okay, so that you're right. Now that I think about that, you're probably right. That is the reason. With that said, man, it's I, I just it never even occurred like when when Rob mentioned the idea of oh, you know, you can place things in certain ways and kind of screw over other players, it like my brain had to jar into oh wait, this isn't a single player game. Not a single player, um, right. Listen, I can't wait. Um I love Thailand games, um, you know, I love the theme. Um, so I think it's going to be a whole lot of fun, and it is on the way. So um, folks that are listening, you can expect a unboxing video on our Facebook page, probably during a Facebook Live, um, and plenty of pictures on our Instagram. Um, you know, I, I, the only other thing that was of note, and I think this was more, I mean, I was not super excited by it, but I was more interested in it, um, is Machi Koro Legacy. Rob, mm -hmm. this made you feel a certain kind of way also. 
Oh, I mean, I like Machi Koro. It's a really kind of light, fun game. Um, yeah. I just, I kind of, I have no interest in a legacy version of it, and I could be completely wrong, and it, it most likely will end up being amazing. Uh, it's just, it, it didn't excite me. Like, when I saw the news, everybody was like, oh my god, here it, here it comes. I was just like, eh, okay. All right, Dabby, I'm kind of with you. Linda, what did you think when you saw the Machi Koro Legacy? I thought it was a joke. I was surprised to see that. I haven't played Machi Koro yet. I recently acquired the Bright Lights Big City version, and that is still in the box, shrink-wrapped and waiting. It's pretty much the same thing. I think it's got like yeah. it's got some extra cards, right, Rob? It's, yeah. it's pretty much the same game as the original, just with like some extra stuff. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not quite sure. I've only ever played the original, um, and I actually don't own it. I've played it at a friend's house. Oh, we, the, it is a, it is a big favorite of the boys. Um, especially when the daycare was open, Machi Koro was out almost always. Um, so it, it intrigues me that they're turning that into a legacy game and it, and that Rob Davio is doing another legacy game. Like this is definitely his specialty creating these legacy games. So, um, I mean, the only real details I saw besides the fact that he's part of the team uh, is that apparently there's ten missions, a ten mission campaign in this to complete. Well, I mean, that's what legacy games are, right? Like the idea so, is it's a game that over time it. I, I'm, I, I, I don't know, man. I think this is one of those ones. I'm gonna have to see how it plays out. But I've never seen a game thought it was a joke, then immediately knew that it wasn't a joke. And then kind of wished it was a joke, but then was glad that it wasn't a joke. You know, like I'm, I'm getting. I know that I am a the living embodiment of hype, right? And so, like swings of emotion, not a big surprise for me. Um, but this one made me feel like in rapid succession a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, and it could be because maybe, maybe I just needed more caffeine at that point. Uh, but I think that's kind of where we are. <laughs> now, I mean, I'll be honest. When I first saw the word legacy, it took a it took a few minutes to realize what that was implying because I would not have thought of this style game becoming a legacy game. It just didn't. It, it there's a dissonance to that idea. Now they are saying that this isn't a uh, it's it's not a legacy game where you play your your ten games and it's done. Um, it's just you play your 10 games and then it's done with the legacy aspect and then it can just be played over and over again as a regular, you know, as a regular game. It's not like it's done and then it's useless. Um, so it, I mean, maybe it's got that going for it. Which makes it more family friendly. It's not a one playthrough and then done. Yeah, it's not like you have to buy a recharge pack right. to restart it or anything. It's just it's in its final state and it is a completely playable game after that point. Hmm. Which I think is interesting. I mean, the ability to... It's basically like building your own board game is what it sounds like, which I... What funny story about being like, oh, I didn't think this game really lended itself to being a legacy game. The fun story is neither did Rob Davio. They actually asked him twice, and he turned them down twice because he just didn't know how to do it. Um, but the thing with creative types, especially him, um, is... If he, he really does not like being able to say he can't figure it out. Because as soon as he does that, every time he's in the shower, every time he's driving, you know, like, 
that gear is going to turn and eventually he found it and then reached out to them to say, hey, I think I'm ready, um, which I think is fascinating. Um, I'm going to have him on the show at some point very soon. I already reached out to him because um, I really want to see kind of what his thought process was on that um, because, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in that. Um, and obviously he's got a whole lot of stuff to talk about being that he is responsible for a genre of board game. I think it'll be interesting to have a chance to talk to him. Um, so, I mean, I think, guys, that's pretty much it from Gen Con. Um, well, what did you think? Do you guys think it was a good show? Do you think, are we more excited about board games in general than we were before Gen Con started? The same. What do you think? I'm pretty much the same. I mean, if I was able to go to Gen Con, maybe that was a little, that would be a little different. Um, yeah. But, I mean, it was cool seeing... Uh, you know, I always love to see people I know and post, you know, them posting their pictures and, and having a good time. And I love to hear, you know, like buddies like Alex, just their games like Expansity just selling out like crazy. Um, so, yeah, it's it's cool, to, you know, to to see that and, and, and get a little bit excited. Uh, but I think it's hard for a lot of that excitement to really, really hit home unless I was I was there. Yeah, you're probably right. You're probably right. Linda and I have we have talked about this that we do really want to go. It's just it's a matter of um, you know, maybe now you know who knows maybe in a post E3 world um, maybe Gen Con will be in the cards because I would really like to hit this one up. So folks, um, I think we're running out of time today. Uh, we've done a whole lot of talking about Gen Con, but I know we missed some stuff. Um, we cut some things for time. Um, and also, it's just the three of us and we weren't there. So if you saw something, uh, why don't you head on over to our Facebook community? That is uh, at facebook.com. No, it is engagefamilygaming.com slash community. That's where you really want to go. Um, join the community. Share with us your experiences, your hype moments from Gen Con. Uh, because we'd like to hear about it. Uh, because maybe... Maybe there's something that's really great for the kids. Who knows? So um, until next time, this is Steven and Linda and Rob. Uh, we hope that you have a great day. Um, and also we want to remind you, do not forget to get your family game on. We'll see you next week for video games where we're going to talk a whole lot about World of Warcraft and Evo. Have a good night. Bye. Later. Bye. Bye.